What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Essential 11. As always, brought to you by Acton Academy. Acton Academy Placer. Our friends over at discoverpraxis.com. Today's guest is a man by the name of Ryan Mickler. Uh, If you've heard the name before, maybe it's because you listen to this podcast. I appreciate it, and we've had him on before. Uh, Maybe it's because we've mentioned him on a number of podcasts. Maybe you listen to his podcast He's the creator and founder of Order of Man, and he is doing uh, arguably as much as anybody else in this country to restore classic masculinity. Uh, Honored to get to bring him back in to talk with the guys of Apogee Strong. Honored to be able to call him a friend and partner with him on this movement. And I think you guys are absolutely going to get so much value out of this conversation with Mr. Ryan Mickler. Some of you Alpha Squad studs are taking on sovereignty this month, and we have the man, the myth, the legend, and author of sovereignty right there with us. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, you guys? Great to join you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man, this is good stuff, man. Honored to uh, honored to have you, sir. It's cool having, and we get some some rad guys on here, but it's cool having people that are legitimately part of the program too. I mean, you are you are one of the very first books we put in there, and you're for month eleven. So Alpha Squad's digging into your stuff right now, dude. Excellent. Yeah, That's man. what I like to hear. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. You guys just tell me what you want to do. I don't, I don't know the, the awesome. format or the framework, but I'm here to serve you guys Super however I cool. can. Oh, you're awesome, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. We, uh, I like to give, you know, I gave those guys some background on you a little bit and, um, and I like to just kind of wrap a little with, with our guests and, and, uh, kind of give some more context and then I'll open it up to them, man. And they'll just kind of ask you questions one-on-one and do their questions are way better than, than anything I asked or way better than anything you and I ask on our podcast. Like these guys are studs, man. So it's, it's cool. Great. Um, Good. The, uh, the essential 11 episode we did, man, was still to this day, one of my, uh, one of my favorites, man. Uh, it's, it's just so much good stuff. And I know we took it from a context of, you know, a little bit of your background. And, and then we talked a little bit about, um, you know, your, your take on some of those questions for, for youngsters. I want to kind of start, if you don't mind, kind of you as a young guy um, and just, you know, you're, some of these guys are 13, 14, 17, 18. We've got uh, participants up to kind of their early twenties and the guys that can't make it, you know, on this call, it's going to be recorded and we'll send it out to them to check out this weekend. But what, dude, who is Ryan Mickler at, at 14, 15? <laughs> you, you wouldn't have even recognized me guys. So um, I, I think 13 years old through about 18 was, it was a difficult time for me, frankly, but it was a really pivotal time in my growth. Like just by show of hands, how many of you are without a, a dad or father figure in the home? Just by show of hands. Does everybody have, have a father figure? Does anybody not have a father figure? It's okay. Like if you don't, Malachi, thank you for showing your hand. All right, cool. So those are actually, those are good. That's good. Um, I know for me, when I was 13, my mom had gone through several different marriages and divorces at that point. Uh, And so at that age, when I was trying to figure out how a little boy, and you guys aren't little boys, I would consider you young men, but a little boy transitions from young men to men. I didn't really have a father figure in my life showing me how to do that. So I relied heavily on some coaches, football coaches in particular, that were instrumental in my life. Some that two decades later, I still have contact with and are good friends of mine. Um, so when I was 13 years old, I really began to see how challenging it was not to have my dad in my life. And so there was a lot of confusion and frustration and really contention and animosity. Uh, but I had those coaches coming to my life and 
direct me through football. Frankly, that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You know, you guys have, have Matt here. You have other people in your lives. Like I, I wish at 13, 14, 15, even 18 years old, like you guys are here that I would have had something like this, that I would have been committed to even being involved in something like this. The only reason I thought football was cool is because I got to hit people and it was allowed. That's right. Uh, but you know, outside of that, I didn't realize I was learning some life lessons that I'd carry on with me two, three decades later. So uh, I've learned a lot, you know, and those, those years were formative years and I could have very easily went down another path when I was in California growing up. So I grew up until I was 13 years old in California. And then after that, I moved to a small town in Southern Utah, but I was getting involved with the wrong crowd. Um, I actually got expelled from school because I brought a wrench to school because we were getting into fights and threats of fights. And like, that's the only way I thought I could defend myself. So I got caught with that. I remember in, you know, like third or fourth period, I had one of the uh, faculty come in and they, they came into my classroom. I was in history classroom. I remember it like it was yesterday. They grabbed my bag and said, come with us. And we went to the principal's office and I had a wrench in there. My buddy had things that he, you know, he would have used and like, we were going down a bad path. Um, and it wasn't until I had men in my life who started giving me direction for that 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 aggression and the competitiveness and just those, you know, like that masculinity coursing through my veins that I started figuring out how to harness it in effective ways. So I'm really glad I made that move because I could have very easily been down a, a very dangerous path for myself and other people. No doubt, man. And I know that's and I know that has impacted the way that you father, you know, your, your kids, too. I know you have, you have three boys and a girl and, and I know that, um, you know, being a father is, is that primary role in your life. And I know that's greatly impacted the way that you're at. So I want to talk about how that impacted them and how, or, and how that changes the way you, you parent them. But I'm also curious about this concept because we, we know how important the fatherhood piece is. Um, and, and, you know, like you see the majority of these guys on here are very blessed to have those dads in their life. And Malachi, um, you know, you're a, you're a stud man. And, and I can't wait to introduce you to the rest of the guys. This is Malachi's first call, but Malachi, um, and his mom knows the importance of good men too. So she sent him down to the Squire program, um, too. So he, you know, he got to go in there and he had somebody that stepped in to, uh, to go in there with him. And, um, so everybody, Malachi, you were with Sean, right? Yes, sir. I was. Yeah. So you and I were at the same Squire program. Bingo. That's right. Yeah. I knew I recognized you. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Yeah. It's cool. Huh? So everybody understands yeah, sure. the importance of that here, man, which is a big deal. Do you feel like, uh, no father figure, bad father figure. What do you, what do you think there? The differences, similarities, differences, like which one, neither one are the ideal obviously, right? Because I listen to your story and I know your story and you don't have the dad growing up. I did have a father figure, but he was um, not a good one, right? It was not a good example. And I'm, and I'm blessed by that too. So what do you think, man? If yeah. you, had to... I, you know, I think you hit on it. Guys, look, here's the deal. Life's going to deal you a hand, right? And that hand is largely outside of your control. Like you don't get to decide what cards you play with. Like you're dealt a hand, your parents are your parents. You live where you live. Your friends are your friend. Eh, that's not necessarily true. We can talk about that later. But there's a lot of things that are outside of your control. And so to your point about bad father or no father, that, that's up to you. That's your decision. So with me where I had, I had one, so one of my step, my, my father was an alcoholic. 
uh, and, a dr- and, and abuse drugs. My second, my stepfather, my first stepfather, he was an alcoholic. My second stepfather, he was verbally and emotionally abusive. So the men that I did have in my life were not great examples of what it meant to be a man and how to lead a family. And so I could have used that as an excuse. Now that was the hand I was dealt. I had no control over that whatsoever. But what I did have control over is how I used that and what lessons I extracted from that. So do I use that as an excuse to underperform? I did when I was young. But now I realize that all of the baggage and all of the stuff and all of the crap and everything else that I dealt with, I got to deal with that because I'm strong enough. And because I dealt with that, now my children, three boys and a girl, they're never going to have to question whether or not their dad loves them, whether or not dad's going to be around, whether or not dad's willing to throw football with them or teach them about life, because I know what it's like not to deal with that. So guys, here's what I would say. The hand that you're dealt with, some of it is within your control. And frankly, some of it is a consequence of your decisions, good or bad, right? It's a consequence of your decisions. But there's other points of your life that are outside of your control. And the way that's going to serve you is largely how you decide to interpret it. Like what filter you decide to look at it through. Is this a negative thing happening to me? Or is there a positive that, that I can learn from it and it's happening for me to be better moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's powerful. It's like kind of that whole, and we've talked about this before, uh, with these guys and kind of this whole meme of, you know, the, the, the dueling brothers and one is saying, you know, my life is, has not worked out the way I wanted to. I'm, I'm wildly unsuccessful because, you know, my dad was a, was an alcoholic. And then the other one who grew up in the same household said, you know, I'm wildly successful because my dad was an alcoholic. And I chose to look at that as, as the reason that's to right. go the other way. Right. And use that as kind of that anti-hero man. And, and have the discipline to to go the other direction you know and that's that's exactly it yeah we you know these guys have it's a 12 month program man which is a long tail game especially when you're when you're this age you don't realize you know it's 12 months but you don't realize how short of a time that really is but they've got a different project a different challenge a different reading you know a group of workouts they've got all these things that they're taking on every single month and what tim and i tell these guys is dude we're gonna let we're laying out this roadmap but it's like going to the gym you can join the best gym in town. You got all the best trainers. You got all the best equipment. But if you don't have the discipline to get up and go and get in there and go every day and it's that consistency, um, then nothing changes. Right. And, and well, it's- look, and, and here's what I would say, guys. Like, so with what we've created in my own life, my own family dynamic, our, in our business, we do very well. You know, we're, we're making seven figures. Like, I want you guys to realize there's opportunity to make wealth and make money and abundance. And you don't have to be shy about that. Um, so we have guys, thousands of guys at this point, paying us thousands of dollars a month in a year to be part of our programs. Okay. But here's what I've realized is that even in the wake of that economic success, that financial success, that ain't, that ain't enough. You know, there, there's guys that are paying us thousands of dollars a year and they aren't doing anything. They think that paying a thousand bucks a year or 10,000 a year or whatever they're investing in themselves is enough. It really isn't. What matters is what you put forth. So whether we're talking about being on the football team or being in class uh, or hanging out with your buddies or wanting to start some sort of business venture, some of you guys are probably already starting businesses, I imagine. It's not a, the money element is not enough. What matters is 
how much you personally are willing to invest, the, the amount of effort and work that you guys are willing to put forth. And the beautiful thing about that is you get to decide, right? Malachi, I'm looking at you. Man, you get to decide. When you went to the Squire program, you could show up and think this is stupid and I don't want to be here and Sean's here and he's not my dad. And you could have that bad attitude or you could have the attitude you actually had, which is, hey, this guy who have, I don't know who he is, decided to invest in me, decided to be here. My mom cares enough about me to get me here and I'm going to make the most of it. And that's exactly what you did. But that was a decision you made. And that's the beautiful thing. It's all within your control. Bingo. I love it, man. So what is that? What does the day-to-day kind of look like? So we've, and gentlemen, I encourage you guys to go back and listen to the Essential 11 episode, listen to Order Man podcast. It's one of the few podcasts that I subscribe to and, and even fewer that I actually will listen to um, <laughs> if, I, if I'm honest. Um, and I encourage you guys to go back because Ryan does a great job of kind of laying out this struggle that he went through in this relationship struggle and how he kind of turned the, kind of turned the corner you know, from from being an adult male to really being a man and what that meant and the responsibility. So he goes through that. But I want to kind of jump to what that looks like day to day right now uh, a little bit. You got the Order of Man, you got the Iron Council, you know, you're an author. What does that day to day kind of look like for you right now in the in the business and with the fam? Yeah. So the first thing I usually get up anywhere varying on the day uh, between about 530 a.m. and 6 a.m. And I get up and the first thing I do is I train jujitsu. So I train five days a week. Yeah. I see, is it, is it Kaleo? Is that how you say your name? Yeah. Kaleo. I see Kaleo's nodding his head. Yeah, we get a bunch of jujitsu. Don't get that hair pulled. Man. You got to watch out for getting that hair pulled. <laughs> right. Cause dude, I had no joke. I had a beard that was probably maybe even longer than when your hair sits right now. And I would get that thing yanked on a jujitsu yep. every time I went and trained. So you got to watch out for that. You know that. But so I, I train jujitsu five days a week. Uh, so I'll usually go there before my family gets up because I'm, I'm heavily invested in making sure that my family gets my time and attention. Um, no gi. That's right. I love it. Cool. So I go do jujitsu. I come home and usually spend just a morning with the family. I don't, I don't personally eat breakfast. Uh, that isn't something that I, I do. Like I'm not really hungry in the morning. I'll drink a bunch of water, but I don't eat breakfast, but I will spend time with my family uh, we'll talk and we'll laugh and we'll tease and we'll joke and we'll plan out our day and figure out what's going on. And then I get changed, get ready, all that stuff. But one of the first things I do is I've got this notepad right here and this, this little, uh, I call it a battle planner, but I, I will literally go in every single day and I'll document and write out, you guys can kind of see like what needs to be done on a daily basis. So I'll go through this planning tool right here make any adjustments, tweak anything I need to tweak, fit anything I need to fit in, look at my calendar so I can do maximum efficiency for my day. And then from there, once I take 20 to 30 minutes tops on that, it's execution. That's all it is. Execution. Get on this call, make this this phone call, send this email, get on this podcast, whatever I need to do. But here's one thing I do. If my day ends at, let's say, 5.30, 6 o'clock on average, Uh, I will carve out 30 to 40 minutes at the end of each day. This is very important, young men, is making sure that you cap out the day. Because everybody talk like you've had guys on here that talk about daily planning and their morning. And that's all important. I'm not saying it isn't. But if you aren't doing an evening plan, I think you're missing the boat on this a little bit. So you go in and you write down, okay, like, what did I do? What did I accomplish? What tasks did I get done? 
What things did I not get done yet so that you can start planning for tomorrow? And that's going to make tomorrow that much more effective and efficient for you. So that's generally what my day looks like. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And that, that, Nightcap kind of thing is huge. We had uh, Craig Ballantyne came on with us a couple of weeks oh, ago, yeah. and and Craig's a rad dude, and, and he was talking about um, you know the importance obviously of the scheduling, and he kind of mentioned something similar to to sort of that nightcap deal, and he framed it in a way too that it also allowed you to then rest afterwards, which which for even for me was was powerful with multiple businesses going on. You know, I will find myself sometimes lay down and you know getting ready to go to sleep, and and eyes shut, and I'm already starting to 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 try to solve the world's problems for tomorrow. You know, where really, if I just put that down, I know I'm going to tackle it tomorrow. I know I'm going to handle it. And it allows me to just let that go and, and just kind of get that rest too. You know, so yeah, super powerful, man. Yeah. Love that. One thing you guys might notice is if you're anything like me, like my brain doesn't shut off. So at night when I go to bed, I'll be thinking about different things I want to do, new ideas, people I want to reach, ideas and concepts that I have. And my wheels just keep turning, but sleep is so important. And I realize how important it is that I have to figure out a way to shut off my brain. So Clay, you appreciate this. Like even at night, I'm thinking about jujitsu moves, right? Like, <laughs> okay, well, this guy did this. And what if I did that? And if I did that, then it would lead to this. Like my brain just doesn't shut off. So having, having a tool, and I don't, it doesn't matter what tool it is. I, I'm sure you guys have something. Matt, is that correct? You guys have something you're using? Yeah. I mean, they, these guys start out as soon as they hit in there where they get a mod schedule where they start mapping cool. out their day-to-day from when they wake right. up to when they go to bed. Yep. So a little strategy I've used, guys, and, and please don't use your phones when you do this. Just get like a field notes journal or I always have this with me. It's just a blank, a blank notepad. Like always have something like this by your nightstand. And if at night, you know, it's eight, nine, 10 o'clock, whatever time you guys are hitting the sack, just have this notepad by you. If you have an idea, you have a thought, just write it down. Just take a note, write it down. Don't, again, don't do it on your phone. Cause if you do it on your phone, you're going to start texting the ladies. You're going to start like seeing what your buddies are up to. I get it. I know. Cause my son's 13 and mm-hmm. I saw him yesterday. I went and sat in the blind with him cause we were hunting. And instead of like looking for deer, he was sitting there texting with his buddies and his potential girlfriends, which, you know, I can appreciate, but like, don't, don't allow yourselves to be distracted, (laughs) get a blank notepad. Okay. Here's an idea or here's a thought, or I need to call this person, or I need to talk with mom or dad about this particular subject and just dump it out of your brain so that you can actually sleep. And I, I know when you're younger, you may not feel like you need as much sleep. You probably need more sleep. That's true story. Uh, So just dump it out of your brain and let your brain shut off to the best of its ability. True story, man. So powerful. And you guys getting that, getting that physical part in there too. You know, we, we send those workouts to you guys and obviously, you know, it's not letter of the law. Tim and I created those and and Ray care who some of you guys met, you know, we kind of created those. So those do those workouts are gnarly. Like they're no joke. Um, and we're, we're all good. If you want to substitute those and and throw in, you know, get jujitsu practice in all that stuff. That's great. But that physical activity is a huge part of that too, man. Wearing yourself out during the day you know, and, and getting after it'll make a, a big impact too. Um, and speaking of jujitsu too, one of our guys on here, I think Benaya is on here right now, his CEO project a little while back, he got in touch with Pete and sat down with Pete, um, over there at, uh, origin and, and, uh, got to interview him. And did you say, chat. was it Benaya? Is that how you say your name? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Awesome. That's cool. Pete, Pete. So you talked with Pete personally? Yes, sir. 
Very cool. He is the best of the best. And I can tell you, you had a brief conversation. He's a close personal friend. He's a mentor. He's my jujitsu instructor. So That's he right. beats the crap out of me every time we go because <laughs> he's a huge guy. You probably know that. But man, there isn't a better person to learn from than, than Pete, for sure. He's definitely a good yeah, man. He's rad. He's so yeah. rad. He's a good, yeah, he's a good dude. Um, gentlemen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up here in a second so that you guys can ask Mr. Mickler your, your questions. Um, I, one more that I kind of want to preface some things with too. So these guys, a couple of these guys are, are entering into what we call the alter ego project. And so they've started to develop out um, somewhat of a, mas a, a mastermind in the Napoleon Hill uh, sense of the word where they're kind of going, okay, you know, if I'm going to go out to work out, I'm going to kind of channel my inner David Goggins, right? Because I'm going to, you know, tell myself not to quit. And then they, they put together these egos based on uh, Todd Herman's book, The Alter Ego Effect. And they start to put together and they're trying to put together their personas and, and pulling in men they admire and going, you know, what piece of this do I connect with? How do I construct myself so that I can become, you know, design the man that I want to be? So who do you find you're kind of drawn from right now? And I know that changes, you know, season to season as you continue to grow. Um, but who are some of the guys that you're kind of looking to right now and, and kind of digging what they're doing and, and really trying to pull from yourself? Yeah, I mean, Pete Roberts is definitely on that list. Um, Jocko Willink is on that list, yep. of course. Tim Kennedy, you know, I had the, I had the privilege and opportunity to sit down with Tim several months ago at his place and yep. chat with him and do a podcast with him. I, you know, I have the great luxury of talking with incredible men. Matt's been on the podcast. Uh, and, and here's what I would say, instead of answering that directly, I would say this, and I'm trying not to do a cop out here. There's lessons that you can learn from everybody if you're looking for it. That's right. All right. If you're not guys, look, if you're not intentional about your life, you're just going to coast and you're going to drift and you're going to take the path of least resistance. And you're going to have interactions that aren't going to be real meaningful or significant to you because you aren't looking for it. But if you look for it, whether it's me or Matt or, and you know, look, some of you guys are going to speak here and ask me questions or have thoughts and insights. If you're looking for wisdom, you'll find it. Whether that's Tim Kennedy and all you guys know him and Jocko Willink and David Goggins, like you mentioned, these are like, the larger than life guys that you see, or you know what, you may have a conversation with the, the, the teller at the bank or the clerk at the convenience store or your buddy who's disclosing or sharing something with you. Listen, open your mind, open your heart, listen with the intent of learning and you can get it from anywhere, any place, anytime. Dude. So I'm going to try, I'm about to call on you, but I couldn't, I couldn't agree more on this. So I'm getting ready to leave today and filling my coffee and getting out saying goodbye to the family and my five-year-old boy sitting at the at the breakfast table and he says dad so before you go he says uh i know that breathing in deeply is a good way to calm down if i get hurt and kind of taking these deep breaths um, but do you have any other ways that that you really calm yourself down if you're mad or if you get hurt and he asked me that question and i'm going geez man um I don't know that I do. I think I kind of resort maybe to that deep, deep breathing. And he's like, do you think you should have more ways than that? Just in case like you can't really get good breath. And I'm going, holy crap, man. Maybe, yeah, maybe I need to do some self-work right there. And it's, you know, it's the five-year-old that's reminding you. That's it, man. It's wisdom comes anywhere, anytime. I love that. Yeah, 100%. Trey, you're up, sir. Well, thank you for coming on, sir. And my question is, what is the biggest problem that you think there is in the world and what ways that we could avoid it or stop it? Hmm. 
That's a really good question. Do you go by trade or trade in? Trade, trade in, it doesn't matter. Either one. All right, cool. That's a really good question. Um, look, here's what I, I'll give you my number one problem, but that doesn't mean it's your number one problem. So what I would suggest to you guys is we, we all acknowledge and recognize different things as being wrong with the world. So, but we don't all have to agree. What you should be doing is you should be identifying what you think the number one problem is. And then that's your hill to fight on, right? So all of us have different hills. Trey, the hill that you choose to fight on is probably a product of your upbringing, of your culture, of your background, of your beliefs, of what people have told you. And all of that stuff's wonderful. For me, the biggest hill, that the hill that I'm willing to fight for and die on is the rise of a fatherless generation. I, I, I think the lack of critical, engaged, active, present fathers in the home is one of the biggest problems in society today. And, and that, guess where that comes from? That comes from me not having a permanent father figure in my life. Now, Trey, that might not be your circumstance, and that's great. But there's other things that you might acknowledge and recognize. And, and so the key is not to figure out what I think the problem is, but to figure out what you think the problem is from your own perspective and then figure out a hill you're willing to fight for. If it's fatherless homes, great. If it's drug abuse or alcohol abuse, great. If it's poverty, great. If it's access to healthcare, great. I don't, I don't care what it is. And it actually doesn't matter what I think it is for you. So I'm, I'm going to put that question back on you a bit, and I hope it's okay if I give you guys assignments and maybe some challenges here. Love it. What I would suggest, Trey, for you, and actually all of you guys, is to take your notepad out sometime today and write down 10 of the biggest problems you see in society today. So again, maybe it's poverty, maybe it's alcohol or drug abuse, maybe it's fatherless homes. Um, you know, maybe it's uh, financial turmoil or literacy. I, I don't know, whatever it is for you. And now you can start to identify what you think the problem is. And then that's going to move us towards how we can create solutions. And you know what, Trey, there's specific things in your life where now to a degree, but even so, more so as you get older, where you're going to be uniquely qualified to fight that battle because it's an experience you've had. I'm uniquely qualified, not exclusively qualified. There's a difference but uniquely qualified to deal with the rise of fatherless homes because I've been there. I know what it's like. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's what uh, Naval calls that specific knowledge, right? It's the combination yes. of all of your unique experiences. And so what you can bring to the table because of that. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. And that whole solution-based approach and looking at things from a big problem. And I love that question for young heroes far more than what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what problems do you want to solve? We always shift the conversation to what problems you want to solve. And, and uh, you know, part of this mission, obviously, is giving these guys context early. That, that, that doesn't mean what do you want to solve when you grow up. It means what do you want to solve right now? And what can you do right now? You know, and we've had the first, I think the first time I ever even realized the power of these young people was years ago. And, and I kind of presented this, this concept of what problems do you want to solve just right here in our own community, you know, to a, to a group of middle schoolers at that time who were all 
in college and married and, and when whatever now, but this group of middle schoolers in, in the course over the course of like three or four months, they had um, built a tiny home and moved a homeless man into it. They had constructed a wagon um, that was able to double as carry, uh, being able to drag things or pull things for a homeless person, but they could open it up and actually get into a bed. These are middle schoolers and they could get in and, and create a bed out of that. They had written a book and gotten it published and got it into the hands of every female inmate in the state of California. Right. They had done Dang. so many things in the course over the course of it was a, about a three month project. Right. So just be just by shifting the framework of that question, what problems do you want to solve and getting after it? And that so will evolve rad. guys over time too. For sure. You know, don't, don't think that just because you've planted your flag on one particular hill, that it has to be your life's path. It might just be, this is a temporary moment in time and here's what's important to me right now. And that may evolve and that may change and your life experiences may dictate a new path. So be open and receptive to new paths and ideas as that becomes important to you. So good. Benaya, you're up, sir. Thank you, sir, for getting on this call with us. It uh, means a lot to every one of us. I had a question for you. In your opinion, what is the most important values of a good man? So, uh, good, qu good question. Um, I don't know if you guys can see my hat or not. Can you guys see it? Can you guys see what it says on the bottom right there? Yes, sir. Protect, provide, it says preside. protect, provide, preside. So that is my role. I'm as, as a man, that's my role. That is, that isn't the role of women necessarily, although women can fulfill those roles, but that is exclusively, exclusively my role as a man to protect myself and other people I love, and also people who are incapable of protecting themselves to provide for those same people. So one of the things I think about a lot, what separates a boy from a man? Well, a boy consumes more than he produces, but a man has the capacity to produce more than he consumes, right? So let's take a look at my son. So I've got, and, and my daughter too, but I've got a 13-year-old, uh, an almost 11-year-old, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. I don't expect them to produce more than they consume. They take a lot of time and energy and resources and money. And I got to put food on their table and in their bellies. And I got to put a roof over their head. And that's part of the deal of having kids, right? That's the responsibility I have. I don't expect them to produce more than they consume. But as a young man transitions into manhood, he has to learn not only how to produce for himself, but he has to have the capacity to produce for other people. So at this stage of my life at 40 years old, I can take care of myself and I can also take care of my four kids and my wife and the people who would be inspired by what I do. Same thing with, with Matt here, right? So we've got protect, we've got provide, and then we've got preside and preside is synonymous with leadership. Guys, you're a leader. Whether you have the title or not, you're a leader. And so, Benaya, when you ask this question, you know what you're doing? You're leading. Do you realize that? Like you're leading. Not only you're asking the question for your own gain, which is there's nothing wrong with that. You should be doing that. But you're also giving permission for other people to ask. And that's leadership. There's, got, there's, there's men on this call right now who are looking at you and saying, well, he asked this question and I have this question. And you're the one who gave him permission through asking your own question and putting it out there 
that they would go ahead and ask their question. So what is it that we need to be doing as, as young men? You can do this as young men and men is to protect. Kaleo, we were talking about it earlier. There's a reason you're doing jujitsu, man. It helps you. It, it makes you a better person, but also it makes you more capable of doing your job, which is to protect, to provide for ourselves and other people and to lead. Those are the three roles and responsibilities men have. And everything that we do, whether it's this phone call or jujitsu or completing other assignments or simply talking with our siblings or parents should be moving us to be more capable of protecting, providing, and presiding. Does that help? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You bet. You bet. Good question, sir. Paul, you're up, sir. My question was, what is it that uh, led you to writing your book, Sovereignty? Look, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. I don't particularly enjoy writing. All right, it, it isn't something I enjoy doing. Who, who can relate with me, by the way? Like who like, okay. <laughs> so if you put me in front of a microphone or a camera, I love it. I'm all on board with that. But if you put me in front of a notepad or a Word document on my computer, I don't want to do it. Okay. But, but we also have a responsibility. I, I wasn't particularly in, excited about the writing process, but our job is to serve. So again, if you look at my hat, protect, provide, preside, at the foundation of all three of those is a desire to serve other people. That's our job. We need to serve. We need to take our own unique talents and gifts and abilities and messages and experiences and cultures and backgrounds and beliefs and all that stuff. And we need to serve other people. And for me, I wasn't excited about writing the book, but I knew because I had chosen the hill that I wanted to fight on that writing a book was another front of the battle, right? So I don't know if any of you guys study like military history, conflict, battle, things like that. It's really interesting stuff. Usually when you have a war, there's multiple fronts. It isn't necessarily fought face to face. There's this front and then there's this front and there's this going on over here and this skirmish going on. So there's multiple fronts. And I realized that if I want to spread this mission and I want to help other men be better fathers and husbands and leaders in their community and business owners, then there's a lot of different fronts that I needed to fight on. And writing a book, the written word is a front that although I wasn't excited about, needed to be addressed. So I chose the hill, identified the hill. I don't, actually, I'll say it this way, Paul. I don't think I even chose the hill. I think the hill was like laid out before me. It's like, this is the hill. And then I stepped up to the calling, right? Decided that was the hill I'm going to fight for. And now I started looking at the different fronts I need to address. So for me, what was the book about? It was about taking this message that I felt was important and getting it out to the world in a different medium that, although I wasn't necessarily excited about, I felt was much needed. And look, here's one other thing. One other thing, Paul, on this. Not everything is going to be exciting to you guys. Okay. Not everything is going to be sexy. Not everything is going to be enjoyable. Not everything is going to be fun. Deal with it. Okay. The battle is more important than how fun it's going to be. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun. We should have fun. We should enjoy the things we do. But not everything is going to be that way, but we do it because we feel compelled to do it because the mission is more important than how we might feel about it in any given moment. Bingo. Beautiful. Jordan, you're up, sir. Uh, thank you guys for having me today. Um, my question was, how did he come up with the idea of order of men? 
so Jordan, are you asking about like the mission itself or the, the, the term or like maybe get a little bit more specific? Cause there's a couple of different answers I can give you based on what you're looking for. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the thing. We all have challenges. Like raise your hand if you have a challenge in your life. Okay. We all have challenges, right? And I've got a mentor. His name is Sean Whalen. Have you had Sean on yet? I haven't had Matt? him on. I actually, was, I talked to him yesterday uh, about doing okay. some things together. I've had him on the podcast, um, but haven't okay. done anything with these guys yet. Awesome. So one of the things that Sean says is he says, and he's a friend of mine, he's a mentor, is he says, your mess is your message. That's one of the phrases that he uses. And so when you ask me, how did you start Order of Man? How did you think about it? How did you come up with it? The reason I came up with it is because I had my own baggage and my own troubles. And as I started talking about it, and here's something men don't do a lot. They don't talk about their problems. Like we should talk about our problems in the right environment, in the right circumstance. I should say that because it's not always appropriate. And I'll also say that, like, but there are times where we should talk about our issues and our problems. And so he says, your message, your message. So I went through a separation or near divorce with my wife and we had my oldest, he was one at the time. Uh, and we, we almost divorced my wife and I, we worked through that. We, you know, we've been married for over 17 years now. Uh, but as I started talking about the issues that I had, as I was going through my own separation and pending divorce with my wife, I realized there was a lot of other men who were going through that. And then I started talking about how I didn't have a father figure in my life. And I never really learned until later on what it meant to be a man. And as I started talking about that, other men were like, yeah, me too. I've gone through that. And I started to realize that the experiences that I had weren't isolated. Sometimes as young men, you think that you're the only one who's ever gone through a problem. Like you're the only one who had a sibling pass away, or you're the only one who has their parents divorced or the only one who got into trouble. It isn't true, guys. You're not on an island. There's other people. And so your mess, whatever that is, and acknowledge it, recognize it, can become a message for good and helping other people. And that's why we started Order of Man is because I recognized that the mess I had in my life that I'd found answers to, I had an obligation and responsibility to share with other men what they could do to improve their own lives. Beautiful. Well said, sir. It, um... Thank you, sir. Offshoot of, that, offshoot of that, because I know Sean uh, Whalen's friends with another Sean, Sean Briscoe. Are you familiar with him at all and, and anything? He did? No, I don't know him. Okay. I think they went through Warrior together with uh, with Garrett, and, and I think that's okay. where they kind of met. So um, I'll talk about I'll, – I'll introduce you to him offline, but um, some good cool. stuff there too. So yeah, Perfect. very cool. Kartik, you're up, my friend. First of all, thank you, sir, for coming on. This is a great opportunity for all of us. So my question is, if you could give your 13-year-old self one piece of advice, uh, what would it be and why? Yeah, this is a good question. I've thought about this a lot. I, I wonder a lot of the times if it would help me put me on a different path. I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to answer your question here in one second, but I will say this, is I wouldn't change anything about my life. Let, let me just put that out first and foremost, because a lot of the times what I think we're trying to do when we ask a question like that is like, what should I change about my life? And I'm telling you guys, what's happened has happened. We don't get to change it. You know, we've done good. We've done bad. We've messed up. We've done well. Like it's happened. It's done. It's over. 
So let's not dwell on the past as far as what we would change. Let's just figure out how we would do better moving forward. But in the spirit of your question, Kartik, is that how you say it? Okay. Is I would tell myself to take more risks. And, and, and look, guys, I'm not saying be stupid. Okay. There's a difference. Cause, cause I know with the stage you're at in life, there's a lot of things that are tempting that are stupid. There's no other way to say it. Like those are, there's some stupid decisions you could be tempted to make. That's not what I mean when I say take risk. What I mean is go out and adventure, try new things that are wholesome and healthy, start a business, maybe approach that young lady who you think is attractive in a respectful way. Like these are all risks that I wish I would have taken early on in my life because I think I would have been further down the track. But for a long time, I played it safe because I was afraid, right? I was afraid of what would happen. I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid of failure. And most importantly, I was afraid of what other people thought of me. And so you have friends and you have buddies and you have girls and you have your parents and you're so worried about what they think of you. And some of that is healthy. I'm not going to say that. Some of that is healthy. But if you're consumed with what other people think of you, you will not take risks and you will live a life that is inferior to what you could if you decided what hill you wanted to fight on and then you made bold, decisive action to make sure you're fighting on that hill. That's right. So good, man. Yeah. Considering what they're thinking of you and considering who the messenger is, what mom and dad think and consideration behind that and understanding that is a different thing than being consumed by it. And considering somebody who, you know, when you're taking a look at that messenger and it's, you know, it's Sally pants 56 on, on Instagram who gives, you know, it, it means precisely zero. Yep. That's exactly it, man. Well, and there's look, and, and on that subject too, you guys have to be smart about, about people. You have yep. to use your discretion, you know, and I, and I know like we learn, we're not supposed to judge other people and everybody. I get that. I get that. That's important. But also you need to be smart and you need to use discretion. Like your buddies who are getting into trouble and they're into drugs and alcohol and all these other things, pornography, these things that you guys are aware of, like, is, is that really the path that you want to go down? Like, look at them, you know, look at what they turn into. Is that the path that you want to travel? You need to ask yourself that question. And then you can make better decisions because you've asked yourself that question. And I've identified people. And I, again, I'm trying not to be judgmental. That's different. But like, there's people in my life. I'm like, I'm not interested in that path. So I'm not going to make the choices they make. I'm going to make different choices. Cleo, you're up, sir. All right. Thank you, sir, for coming on today. This is fantastic. Um, getting to hear from you. You're, you're a very wise and experienced uh, man, so my question for you, and you sort of answered this uh, with uh, Matt's question, but I would like some more clarification on it. And it is, who were the most influential people in your life and why? What lessons did you learn from them? So, um, you know, I already, that's a great question. I, I thought you were going to ask me something about jujitsu, but <laughs> this, is, this is a way better question anyways. Um, so I told you guys, dad wasn't around as I was growing up, but you know what, who was the most influential person in my life was my mother, like hands down, flat out my mother. She worked hard. She, and that's one of the biggest lessons is 
her working as hard as she did. There was times in her life where she had to work three jobs to make sure that there was food on our table, that there was a roof over our head. I never really worried about where our next meal was coming from. I didn't know we were broke. Turns out we were. I didn't realize that because she made sure that that wasn't an issue for us. Um, so I learned a lot from her. And you know what? There's one other thing that I learned from her that, that I've been thinking about even just over the past couple of weeks is that she acknowledged that in her, in her own potential shortcoming as a mother, because young men do need fathers in their lives and male figures, is she acknowledged that and she got out of the way and she forced me to get involved in competitive sports. So when, when I, the first year of football that I played, I did not want to play at all. I didn't, want, I didn't want to play football. And she made me, she forced me to play football. And it became an incredible catalyst for growth in my life. But she, I, I realized later on in life that she had to drop her ego because it would have been very easy for her to say, well, I can do it. I can figure, I can do it all on my own. But instead of worrying about her own fragile ego, she was more concerned with me and my sister. And so she did things for, her, for us that probably weren't comfortable but that were exactly what we needed. And I've taken a lot of those lessons into my own life and raised my kids, hopefully to, to a degree that way. You know, when I have conversations about girls and sex and drugs and all these other things with my kids, like I don't like particularly enjoy having conversations like that, but I realized that that's what they need from me. And so there was a lot of selflessness that I learned from her. Um, that I think were the most valuable takeaways. Great question, though. That's awesome. Really good Thank question. You, sir. Good lady. Thank you. Good lady. Will Graves. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you're probably one of the best uh, mentors that have been on. Um, you're one of my personal favorites uh, so far. Uh, what made you want to serve in the military? And what was the most enjoyable part for you um, being in the military? And what was the most difficult? Well, I'm glad that you asked this question and also not because <laughs> I don't have this like really noble answer. Like I, I could lie to you, Will, and I could say, you know, I, I just, I was so patriotic and I wanted to serve my country and I just felt this like calling to serve and lead other people. And honestly, Will, that wasn't the case at all. Uh, when, when I graduated high school, I did fairly well in school academically. Um, I, you know, I had sports, but I'm, I'm undersized as far as an athlete. I'm, I'm maybe slightly better than average when it comes to my athletic ability. And so there wasn't any college opportunities. Um, I did end up getting an academic scholarship to a community college in the area, but I didn't really have any plan on what I wanted to do. So um, I talked with a recruiter. I performed very well on the uh, ASVAP. Have any of you guys taken the ASVAP test? It's the military. I don't know what it stands for right offhand, but it's the military processing. Yeah, something, test. something vocational yeah. aptitude. Yeah, it's a, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I did fairly well on that. So the recruiters, the army recruiters, and Marines and and whatnot came knocking on my door, and I thought, you know, I don't have a plan here. So this seems like a pretty good path to help me develop some discipline, to give me some direction in my life, uh, and then also pay for some schooling. So. I ended up going to basic training. I joined the military when I was 17. I ended up going to basic training. I had to get my mom to sign off on that because I wasn't 18 yet. Um, ended up going to basic training when I was 18 and I loved it. You know, I thrived under 
the structure and the discipline and the, 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 the intensity of it. Like I love, I love the game of it. It was so enjoyable to me. And so I was the top performing, uh, soldier in, in basic training and advanced individual training for my particular class because I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. Um, so I learned a lot of structure. I learned a lot of discipline. I learned about sacrifice. I learned about just doing your work, regardless of how you may feel at it, about it at any given point. And then in 2005, I went to Iraq. I went to Ramadi, Iraq. So I know a lot of you guys are probably familiar with Jocko Willink and Echelon Front and some of those guys. So I was in Ramadi in 2005 and I left in June of 2006. Uh, Jocko with Task Unit Bruiser came in in about, if I remember correctly, uh, March or April of 2006. So I had a, a, a little bit of a crossover with him and his team about that same time. So if you've, if you've read any of his books or listened to any of what he says, it was a very dangerous time in Ramadi, Iraq. And here's what I learned. Well, this is very important is that the decisions that I was making, because my job, imagine, so you've got this base and you have observation posts all the way around this base. My job was to be the liaison between those observation posts and how we were going to react. So if there was a threat at the gate or there was any sort of enemy fire, whether it was small arms fire or rocket or a mortar, I had to take that information from our observation posts and then figure out, okay, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to send out a force? Are we going to ignore it? Like, what exactly are we going to do? And I realized very quickly that the decisions that I was making as a 24-year-old kid, that they were literally life and death situations. And that helped me understand that the decisions that we make are real and they have long-term implications. Even the decisions, Will, how old are you right now? Awesome. So 14, almost 15 years old. Some of the decisions that you're making right now are going to play an impact and a part in your life for the next two, three, four, five, ten, you know, whatever right. decades, however right. long you're on this planet. And I learned that because I was making decisions that would mean life or death for certain people. So I learned a lot from the military, and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to serve. And in the meantime, I developed a new sense and pride of patriotism and what it means to sacrifice for this country. The more noble answer you think I'd give initially, I learned after I joined the military. That's awesome. Good question, Will. Yeah, and we got to that. Uh, we just had uh, Carlos from Echelon Front came and actually spoke to my staff here and um, powerful, powerful stuff. They're doing their powerful stories, man. Leif came on solid with guys. Uh, Leif came on with these guys a few a few weeks ago as well, man. Just a solid, solid group of leaders. For sure. Leif is, is among the best and no he's doubt. got an incredibly powerful voice. You know, you guys know, like I don't have his voice for sure. I wish I did because he's man. got that he's voice got... and that dynamic to him, but he's a great leader he's for sure. A great leader. All right. <laughs> Aiden Steinbach, you're up, sir. Thank you, Mr. Mickler, for coming on. So my question for you here today is uh, what, what do you feel as being the, uh, the most important attribute of an effective communicator? Uh, I would say empathy. You know, if you're, if you're going to be a communicator, a lot of us, what we think we're, we're, uh, what we're supposed to do as communicators is inspire and lead and influence and communicate really effectively and have all the right stories and say all the right things. And all of that is, is important, sure. But a lot of it can be very selfish. 
right? A, lo- a lot of communicators, even potential leaders, what they're attempting to do is prop themselves up. And so they're, they're trying to say the right things and it's very fabricated and manufactured and it doesn't land. So if you want to be an effective, you said communicator, not leader, correct, Aiden? Communicator, yes, sir. You need to be empathetic. You need to understand who you're talking with. You need to understand what their problems are. You need to try to put yourself in their environment, in their circumstances, in their shoes. And look, when I, when I started presenting in, in the public arena, whether it's doing a podcast or talking in front of a group of 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people, you know, I, I had these like perfectly manufactured slides and things I wanted to talk about, and it never felt right to me. You know when it started feeling right? When I actually cared more about the audience than I cared about myself. And then what it allowed me to do is take the preparation. You should still prepare if you're going to speak in public, but to take the preparation and then tweak it and adjust it in real time based on who I'm talking with. And that takes a level of selflessness where you actually care more. Like for example, today, I care more about you guys than I care about propping myself up. And if you, if you do that, then the communication tactics and strategies, which are important, let's not dismiss that, but those communication tactics and strategies will be more authentic, will be more genuine, and you're actually going to help the people you're trying to help. Well said. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You bet. Good question, Aiden. Very good question. Now we've got, looks like we've got a couple left on the board. I want to honor your time too. Are you okay if we grab a couple more? Yeah, let's, let's do whatever we need to do. You're awesome, man. Appreciate it. Arthur, you're up, sir. Welcome to the fold. First of all, thank you for being on here, sir. My question is, what is your end goal with the with your like website and all that? That's a good that's an interesting question. Um, I don't have an end goal. There is there is literally no end goal. This is weird though, right? Because a lot of the people that you have on talk about goals and desires and goal setting and planning. And I have those types of things. You know, the amount of people that we want to reach, uh, the amount of money that we want to make, the the people that we want to have on as podcast guests. So I have these little micro goals, but you said the end goal. I don't know what the end goal is. Again, when you plant your flag on a hill that you're willing to fight for, there's not really any end goal. It's like I've planted my flag and look, I don't even really know what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, That's right. let alone what the next two years are going to have for me or what the next 10 years. And so here's the beauty of it. There's no sense of expectation, right? There's nothing at this point because I have no goal and goal as far as like what I want to ultimately accomplish where I have to hold myself to some expectation that isn't real. And what that allows me to do is be very, very present in the moment and enjoy the process. I'll go back to jujitsu because I use a lot of analogies from jujitsu. If my goal was to get a black belt, that's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. But if that's my goal, when I get my black belt, am I done? Like, did I reach the pinnacle of what I could do? Of course not. So instead of worrying about the black belt for me, it's going and being present and improving and getting better and learning new skills, that's more important. And I can do that forever because I don't have some sort of faulty expectation 
about what I ultimately want to accomplish. Now, my priorities might change, Arthur, right? Like some point down the road, I decide, you know, this isn't the hill that I'm interested in fighting for anymore, but that hill right there, that's where I'm going to plant my new flag. But that day hasn't come. And I'm not too worried about that day right now because I'm really enjoying being present in what I'm doing today. So there's a dichotomy here, right guys? Like the dichotomy between goal setting and planning, and you should do that and not creating false expectations based on some unknowable future that you can't quite predict. Does that, does that help Arthur? Cause that's a little counterintuitive maybe than what you've heard in the past. That, yeah, it's helpful. Good. Thank you. You bet buddy. You bet. Awesome. Great question, man. So we got Parker, Will and Malachi, you guys got hands up. We're going to, we'll cut it at, at Malachi so we can honor Mr. Mickler's time too. So last three on here, Parker, you're up, sir. Thank you for coming on here. And my question for you is what is the most influential mistake you've ever made? <laughs> You're going to call me out on mistakes. <laughs> um, the most influential mistake, I'll tell you what, there's one mistake and it might not seem like a big deal, but when I was, uh, I must have been 19 years old. Are you guys familiar with Journey Shoe Store? Oh, Journeys? Man. Okay. It's a, it's a shoe store. It's in the mall. Like I don't, yeah. that's where I worked right out of high school. And you worked um, at Journey? I worked at Journey's okay. yeah, and then Buckle and some other stores. Okay, so cool, man. Well, I was right I was around the bit, corner from you at Abercrombie and Fitch. So it's all good. Yeah. Man. I was a bit we of a mall there. rat yeah, early on in sure. my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I worked at Journey's and, um, I was managing the store and I had an opportunity because I was in the national guard to go to Germany. And instead of going to Germany, I'm, I'm, I'm just shortening the story here. Instead of going to, to Germany, which I really, really wanted to do, I wanted to go to another country. I wanted to get the training in. I wanted to do these things. That was really important to me. I got a little nervous about traveling and a little afraid about, you know, the, the, not knowing what's going on and just like a little bit of a fear. It was a voluntary assignment. And instead of going to Germany, I used the excuse and it was legitimately an excuse that I had to be there to manage the shoe store. Now, looking back, I could have very easily called my district manager and legally he would have been obligated to let me go right. and still come back. And I still used it as an excuse. I could have very easily, his name's Tim Polanco. I still remember him because this is a very <laughs> pivotal moment in my life. And I could have very easily called him up Parker and said, Hey, Tim, I've got this opportunity to go with my unit to Germany and I'm going to be gone for 10 days or two weeks, whatever it was. And then I'm going to be back. But instead I was afraid. I didn't take advantage of the opportunity and I missed out on, I think what could have been a great opportunity. Now it may not have amounted to much. I may not have enjoyed it, but I didn't even take the risk. Like I didn't even try it. I had the opportunity to do this incredible thing and I didn't even do it. And I created an excuse that wasn't legitimate to keep me out of doing it. And I learned in that moment that I really can't lie to myself. And that's what I was doing. I was lying to myself. I was telling myself, well, I can't because I got to manage the store and this is important. And it was important. You know, having a job is important. Those are the commitments that I made. But there's other facets of life that are also important and taking risk and doing new things and experimenting and trying things that you would normally say no to are important things that could potentially give you new framework and new perspective for life. So that, that one was very pivotal for me. And since then, whenever opportunities arise, the default answer is, yeah, I'm in. 
and, and then I try to figure out a way to make it work from there. So good, man. So good. Yeah. That I at Abercrombie and Fitch, man, got a working there and, and got a phone call while I was working from Ken Shamrock who says, Hey man, I know you're going to come do a tryout for the lions then, uh, next week. Right. And I said, yeah, he says, can you show up a day earlier and, and come fight? We're going to have a, a card. Can you make 170 by end of the week? And I was like, cool, man. Yep. Absolutely. We're going to make it happen and hang up and going, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? And I went and talked to my district manager and I remember him too. His name's Frank Ha, and he's now an executive for, for Nike, I believe. And uh, Frank's like, no, nah, man, you got to work. <laughs> he was not legally obligated to let me go. Um, and that was about the end of my tenure with Abercrombie and Fitch. But yeah, it's interesting, man. A lot of parallels, some good stuff. I think that was probably a good choice. It was definitely I, I remember, a good choice, man. You, you, look, there's pivotal moments in your life and they don't yep. sound like a big deal in the moment, yep. but the decisions that you make have lasting impact. We, no we talked doubt. about that already. Dude, no for doubt. Sure. No doubt. Yeah. And also I would say on that one too, um, Parker, this would help round up this question. Make sure you have good advisors in your life and you listen to them. Okay. So Matt's a great advisor. Your parents are likely great advisors. There's other people in your life who you can go to and speak with that will give you some insight and instruction. Like you don't have to figure it out all on your own. And if you do, you're going to make some missteps. And sometimes we as young men think, you know, like, oh, well, I can do it on my own. That's an ego driven thing. And maybe you could. Maybe you could, but why not look to your elders, look to people who have gone before and say, hey, what would you do? What, what perspective can you give me? And maybe they just offer you a question or a little bit of insight that lets you see things differently to help lead you to a better decision. Big time. Will, go ahead, sir. You had a quick one in there and then Malachi will end it up. In my previous question, you mentioned you worked with Jocko. He is one of my own personal uh, I look up to him very, very highly. What what was it like serving with Jocko for the little bit of time that you worked with him? Well, so Will, let me let me clarify. I didn't work directly with Jocko. In fact, I didn't I didn't even know Jocko at the time when we were serving. So I want to be really clear on that. Um, I I I didn't even frankly know who he was when we had that crossover because we were working at different bases. We were in the same general area, but different bases. And he was a Navy SEAL. I was in the army. So there wasn't a lot of overlap or crossover. Um, but I can tell you since I've had him on the podcast four times, I've trained just a little bit of jujitsu with him. I've had some interaction with him and he's become a friend over the past four or five years. Uh, and obviously, you know, I can tell you that discipline is his thing, just an incredible, incredible example of what discipline, structure, having that hill, having that thing you want to fight for and work for. He's a great example of what that means. Um, so I just want to be clear. I didn't serve with him in the military, but I have got to know him over the past, like I said, four or five years. And that level of discipline is, is absolutely unbelievable. And you know what? Here's another thing. Have any of you guys met Jocko in person? No? Okay. So there's a presence about him. Have any of you guys met, maybe uh, you mentioned David Goggins. Have every, any of you met David Goggins in person or saw him? Or, okay. Another guy, there's a presence about him. And a lot, of, a lot of people will say, well, you know, that's just the X factor, right? Like we don't know what it is, but like, it's just something that we can't quite explain. That's not it. There's no X factor. You guys have heard that term, right? X factor. He's got the X factor. 
Guys, there's no X factor. It's not guesswork. It's confidence. And confidence can't be manufactured. You can't just make it up. You can't wake up this morning and say, you know, I'm going to be confident today. It's not how it works. You can be assertive. You can be courageous. You can be bold because you make those decisions, but you don't get to choose whether or not you're going to be confident in any given moment. Confidence is something that's earned and it's earned by keeping commitments to yourself. So if this morning you woke up and you wrote down in your planner, the things that you were going to do and you did them, when you put your head on the pillow, you're going to be more confident tonight. No X factor, no guesswork. You're going to be more confident. On the other hand, if you wrote down 10 things and you didn't do any of them because you were worried about other things, you are going to be less confident when you put your head on the pillow. And so if you look at a guy like Jocko or Goggins or any Tim Kennedy, any number of these guys, these are confident men. It's not manufactured. It's earned by keeping commitments with themselves. You guys, it's one of the most powerful things you guys have heard, man. Hope you guys are taking notes. That's beautiful. Malachi, you're wrapping us up, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here, sir. Um, my question for you is what advice would you have for somebody that has trouble taking risks and or having hard conversations? Hmm. Uh, the, a very good question. Here's what I would say. Start, start small. So, Malachi, you even asking that. So this is the first time on your call, on this call, correct? Did I, did I understand that correctly? That's correct. Yeah. So the fact that you raised your hand and you asked a question is a risk, right? That's a risk. Like everybody here, you're, you're basically saying, hey, I'm going to put this question out here. Maybe it's not a good question. Maybe it is. What are the guys going to think if I ask this question? I, I don't know. Did some of those thoughts go through your mind as you raised your hand? A little bit, um, not too much, but it, it definitely did cross my mind. Because <laughs> I saw, no, and that's good. And I saw some other hands or other heads go like this, like, yeah, those are like, we have those concerns, right? And that's okay. But you overcame that. So now where you said, Malachi, hey, that didn't really cross my mind. Well, that's because you're maybe in your comfort zone. Maybe you're confident and comfortable enough to do this. So now you need to take the next step. And the next step might be, Maybe there's an opportunity for you to do a quick presentation. I, I don't know what the dynamic here is totally, but maybe there's an opportunity for you to do a quick presentation. And that might stretch you outside of your comfort zone. Like you don't have to go solve all of the world's problems today. You just need to get better a little bit at a time. So if you're comfortable doing something, that's great. You should do that. It's where you're uncomfortable that might be the reason that you should do it. Is just the fact that you're uncomfortable doing it might be the indicator that you should move towards that thing, whether it's speaking in public or having, like you said, that difficult conversation, but you do it in a, in a safe way, in a minor way, and then you build upon it from there. If you want to have a conversation with a parent, for example, you know, maybe you don't come outright and just go all in on this conversation. Maybe you just open the doors a little bit. And then tomorrow or next week, you take one step into the room. And then a week later, you take another step. And so, guys, you have time. You know, you don't have all the time. Let's be aware of that. <laughs> like, life is short. That's right. But you do have time. And let's build upon our actions. So, if we're playing here right now, that's okay. Don't be disappointed with that. Just go to here tomorrow. And here the next day and here the next day. And then you look back over 365 days 
And you're like, holy cow, look, look at myself. My son's a great example of this. So my son, uh, roughly a year ago, uh, he was about three or four inches shorter than he is today. And he weighed about 15 or 20 pounds more a year ago than he weighs today. And he was very disappointed with the way that he looked. Malachi, you probably met him when you, when you guys were at Squire program. I don't know if you remember him or not, but he was very disappointed with the way he looked and the way he felt about himself. And he didn't lose all that weight and he didn't get strong immediately, but he said, okay, well, I want to do something about this. And so he started to do CrossFit. And then when he started, after he started doing that, he's like, okay, I want to lock in my diet. And then he's like, okay, dad, I want to actually hire a strength coach, which was a big scare for him. Hire a coach to help him get strong. And he started working with other boys who had been working with his coach for about a year. So there's a risk in that because these other boys are stronger than he is. And he gradually built up. Well, tomorrow morning, he's got his first powerlifting meet. That's first awesome. ever. It's awesome. That's awesome. Man. But he didn't go from like, hey, I'm this fat little chubby kid to I'm going to do a powerlift tomorrow or a, a meet tomorrow. No, it took him a year of working on it day in and day out and gradually and incrementally building up the toughness and the strength and the resiliency to move him to where I don't know that if you asked him a year, year and a half ago, if I told him he'd be doing this, I don't, I don't think he would believe me, but that's the power of incremental growth over time. That's awesome, man. I love that. And it's the power of a, of a father who's leading by example too. I mean, and that's, that's the, that's a, a, enormous part of that is you're leading by example and your your own growth every year year over year you know he sees that and and just dad to dad and and you know educator to friend and and whatever i mean i just i don't see that enough man and that's the you know that's the one thing i've always uh, always appreciated about you too is the way you lead the way you lead your family like that you're leading other men but you're leading at home first man so um and i Thank know you, you know that but it's a uh, it's something i appreciate as another dad so that's a big deal can i say one other thing about that too please brother so I, I pre, and, and I, I really appreciate those kind words, but the other thing it is, it's a testament into the, it, to the power that you guys have, mm -hmm. right? Like you think you're supposed to be influenced by everybody around you and you are, you're going to have good people in your life who you should be influenced by and choose to be influenced by, but don't ever underestimate or overlook the power of the influence you have. And here's another interesting thing about influence. By show of hands, how many of you think that you have a choice as to whether or not you can be influential? Mm -hmm. Do you think you have a choice? Raise your hand. Okay. Who thinks they don't have a choice of whether or not they're influential? Anybody? See a couple hands. Paul, I agree with you. Okay. You don't have a choice. You don't. You don't get to extract yourself from the environment in which you live. Like there's no, there's no choice about whether or not you are influential. N there is a choice about how you are influential, right. but not if you're influential. So if you show up to this meeting and you're tired and you're distracted and you're uninterested, how do you think that influences the rest of the team? Negatively, right? But if you show up the way that all you young men have showed up, and I've been very impressed actually, and you're attentive and you're taking notes and your eyes are up here looking at us and you're asking good questions, 
that influences as well in the positive. So you don't get to determine whether or not you're influential. You get to determine how you're influential and don't ever underestimate the power of the influence you have on your siblings, on your, your brothers here, even on your parents. I've learned things from my kids. I thought I was supposed to teach them. They're teaching me. That's the power of influence. So appreciative of you, my friend. Uh, any way that we can we can help you, serve you, serve your mission, anything that we can do for you as a as a unit here. Uh, the only the only thing I would say, I'm really excited about this. So next week, my oldest son, he's 13. His name's Brecken. Um, him and I have decided to start a podcast, his own podcast. So yes. it's called Man in the Making, uh, and it will be a podcast between father and son talking about some of these issues. Uh, and then also he's going to start moving into having conversations with guys like Jocko and Goggins and Matt and some of these other guys. So just be on the lookout, Matt, I'll let you know when that goes live, but sometimes like coming from me, coming from us as adults, like you guys are all really attentive, but it just lands different if it comes from me versus comes from one of your peers. Yep. So we're really excited about that, but I'll, I'll let you guys know he's excited about that. It should be a really cool thing. And I hope it serves a lot of guys. It's going to be a really cool thing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I can't wait. Whatever we can do to pump that up, man. And, and anything I can do to help him on that is, is, uh, is a pleasure and keep me posted on how he does on the, on the meet tomorrow too, man. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. We're excited for it. Cool, high man. hopes. Yeah. Dang, dang right, dude. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, you guys give a big thank you to Mr. Mickler for the time today. Thank, thank you. Mr. Mickler. Thank you. Thank you, sir. sir. Appreciate you, brother. I'll let you guys close out and do your thing. I'll sign off so you guys can close out and do whatever you need to do. But thanks for the opportunity, guys. Good to get to know you guys. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to run this back sometime soon. Thank you, brother. I'll touch base with you soon, man. Appreciate you. There you go, man. Check him out. Find him at Ryan Mickler on all social media. Go check out Order of Man. Definitely highly recommend the podcast. Uh, he does a phenomenal job on it and has phenomenal guests. And uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts for sure. Uh, speaking of favorite podcasts, appreciate you listening to this one. If you haven't yet, please feel free to share it. Uh, go for it, give a review, do all those things that help us continue to do this and continue to serve the young heroes. Appreciate you all listening. We'll catch you next time.